Hi, this is Jerry Mathers from Leave It to Beaver, and this is the Then Is Now podcast. Warning, warning. Today's episode contains spoilers. So if you have not seen the movie or TV show that we are talking about, we highly recommend that you watch it first, then listen to this episode. Thank you. Welcome to 13 Days of Halloween. <laughs> Once you go deadly, you never go back. Order yours at getdeadly.com. Coffee's so good, it's scary. Hello, welcome to this special episode of Then Is Now Podcast. I am your host, Rigor. On this episode, I am joined once again by frequent guest co-host, a man who loves the whooshing noises of deadlines as they go by, Spency. Hello. How's it going, Spence? Uh, it's pretty good. It's pretty good for doing, me. Yeah. How about you? Good, good. And on my right is a guy who doesn't think he gets even, Patsy the Angry Nerd. Welcome back, Pat. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I do my best. I try to, you know, just, you know, shoot from the hip. And uh, if I get even, I get even. Sometimes (laughs) I'll get odd. Oh, there you go. Evens or odds. Awesome. Uh, Real quick, I just wanted to mention my wife and I went and saw Halloween Kills last night. And that was great. I really loved it. Have you guys had a chance to see it yet? Not yet. Not I, Lord. Okay. The only thing I will say about it, Dennis, and even for the listeners at home, if you haven't seen it, of course, keep in mind it's part two of the the last trilogy here, so they don't necessarily feel the need to wrap certain things up in this particular movie. But otherwise, I, I thought it was solid. So let's get into it. For those who don't know, we are in the middle of our yearly event called 13 Days of Hallowtober. Our theme this year is modern zombie films, which are films that came after and were inspired by George Romero's Night of the Living Dead in 1968, which not only set up the rules for modern zombies, but has also had a lasting effect on horror filmmaking and horror media for the last 50 years. Today, we're going to travel to South Korea and take the train to Busan from 2016. And I just want to warn people that even though we've been, we do it with pretty much every movie and there's a warning at the top of the show, we're going to spoil the fuck out of this movie. So go and see it first. Uh, I think as of this recording, which is sort of middle, mid to late October, it was on Amazon Prime. So check it out. Class is in session. I'm 
해상 부산으로 운행할 수가 없게 됐습니다. So let's get into the uh, the synopsis here. So a chemical leak at a biotech plant causes the start of a zombie apocalypse that rapidly spreads across South Korea. Fund manager Si Suk-woo is a cynical workaholic and divorced father. Oh, look at that. He's two for two. His young daughter Suan wants to spend her birthday with her mother in Busan. He tries to soothe her with a gift of a Wii, forgetting that she already has one. Uh, he watches a video of Suan suffering from stage fright while singing Aloha Oi at a recital he could not attend. Oh, there's the trifecta there, missing the, missing the, uh, <laughs> the recital. Overcome with guilt, he decides to take her to Busan via an early KDX 101 train from Seoul Station, which just sounds like, you know, a 70s TV show. Right. <laughs> Other passengers include working-class man Yoon Sang-hwa and his pregnant wife Seong Kyung, selfish COO Yeon Suk, the fucking he does suck, a high school yeah. baseball team that includes baseball player player Young Guk and his girlfriend, the cheerleader Kim Jin Hee, train attendant Ki Chu, elderly sisters In Gil and John Gil, and a homeless stowaway. As the train departs, signs of chaos from the infection reach the station, and an infected woman runs aboard unnoticed just before the doors close. Of course she does. She soon turns into a zombie, naturally, attacks an attendant, and many crew and passengers are quickly turned into zombies. The remaining passengers secure themselves in the front and rear cars, observing that the infected zombies only attack if they can see or hear them, but they cannot operate the train's doors. So they're not they're kind of like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, but not as good as the Velociraptors from Jurassic Park. Right. Right. They learn from news. Uh, I'm sorry. They learn from news reports of the rapidly spreading epidemic across the country, and Sukwoo discovers the biotech plant was connected to his business. He uses his connections to try and secure safe travels for Suan and himself. That seems like it would be the opposite of what would happen. It's like, oh, this is you did this. Well, let's make sure you are safe. Right. <laughs> the train stops at Daejeon Station, supposedly secured by the South Korean Army. Passengers disembark into a vacant station, which they should have fucking realized was a problem, but soon find the soldiers have become zombies who quickly charge the group. See? what I say? Several passengers are attacked and killed as they race back to the train, while most of the surviving ones safely board the front cars. Suan, Seong Kyung, Ingil, and the homeless man find themselves between two cars of zombies and manage to take shelter in the restrooms. Oh, that's good. Uh, Sukwoo, Yongguk, Sanghua, and two of Yongguk's three surviving classmates, having stayed back to provide cover, race aboard the moving train. Though Yongguk's friends are killed and infected during the escape and end up in the back cars. The captain drives the train to Busan after learning it has been established as a quarantine zone. Learning of their trapped loved ones, Sukwoo's group uses the darkness of tunnels along the route to cross the zombie-filled cars and rescue them. The group continues moving towards the safe front cars, but inadvertently alerts the zombies, of course, in the last car before the safe one. Sukwoo and Sanghua stay back to hold the doors closed while the others escape, but Song Yan Suk has convinced Ki Chul and the others, other passengers they are potentially affected and should not help. After hearing her boyfriend calling, Jin Hee attempts to save them, but is restrained by the other passengers. Sang Hua is bitten and infected and sacrifices himself to give Suk Woo the time to get the others to safety. In Gil sacrifices herself too to give time to the other survivors to lock the door. Yeon Suk and Ki Chul leave 
lead the other passengers and send the front cars and force Sukwu's group into a closed vestibule, believing they are infected. Jonggil is, is shaken by the passenger selfishness and, after thanking Ingil for everything, lets the zombies into the front car, killing the other survivors, though Yansuk and Kichul manage to escape into a restroom. The train is forced to stop near East Daegu train station due to a blocked track, forcing the survivors to seek a new train. Yansuk, in his escape, pushes Kichul, Jinhee, and the captain into a pack of zombies because he's a piece of shit. Young Cook stays with Jinhee until she reanimates and kills him. An out-of-control train causes a derailment, trapping Sukwu, Suan, Siang Kong, and the homeless man under a train car. The homeless man sacrifices himself to hold back a zombie horde while the others escape out a small hole, finding a working locomotive. After releasing a train from a horde of zombies holding it back, they head towards Busan when a zombified Yon Suk attacks Sukwu and bites him before Sukwu can throw him from the engine. Knowing he will turn into a zombie, he quickly teaches Seong Kyung how to operate the train and says his farewells to his sobbing daughter before succumbing to the virus and throwing himself off the engine. Seong Kyung and Suan are forced to stop at a blocked train tunnel just before Busan and Wok. At the tunnel's exit, the military snipers prepare to fire until they hear Suan sob singing Aloha Oi and realize that the pair are human and help them to safety. Nice. So that's pretty much all of it. But yep. <laughs> and so we'll see you next time. No, um, so obviously we'll get more into it because y'all suck. Uh, y'all suck. Like that was y'all suck. Oh, yeah. He was terrible. So Spence, uh, I'm trying to remember when did you first see this and what was your first impression? I saw this uh, a couple of weeks ago with you. Um, oh, that's right. <laughs> and that I've only actually ever seen it that one time. Uh, but my first impression was it was a very excellent zombie film and it just a very excellent film in general. I, I thought it hit a lot of the emotional notes and the characters were well thought out, well written. Nobody was left behind in a writing sense. And the zombies, I thought, were done effectively and they had a couple of new rules and things like that. And it was really, really interesting. So my first impression was that it was really, really good. Nice. Pat? I saw this a couple of years ago when I had uh, some time to watch a movie with subtitles, and I'd heard a lot of really good things about this. So I was like, oh, let me check this out. And I really liked it. And again, Jan Suk can, you know, get fucked because yeah, such a dick. Like, he <laughs> really is. And, like, even after everything he did, after all his selfishness and his greed and his just absolute like contempt for everyone else it didn't matter he turned into a zombie and got eaten anyways right <laughs> oh man i saw i saw this shortly after it was released on netflix i think it was one of those ones that uh, uh i didn't actually start watching it till like you said i heard people start raving about it how good it was and everything and i think i watched the trailer or at least the first half of the trailer and i was sold so um i remember being floored by how tense it was and you know, even though I watched it again, like Spence said, we watched it a month ago or a few weeks ago, and then I watched it again yesterday, I was tense as fuck and on the edge of my seat the whole time, even yesterday. <laughs> so it, it it's one of these rare movies that really keeps you on the edge across repeated viewings. And I just there's so much to love about this film, and we'll get into that here. So let's talk about uh, the director. We've got uh, Sang Ho Yun who he also directed a bunch of things, including Soul Station, that 70s disco uh, show. Uh, yes. I mean, uh, <laughs> an animated prequel to Train, which I did start watching last night, but I, I didn't get a chance to finish it. Um, and it's really interesting because... Uh, did you see that one, Pat? I have not. It's been on my list for a, for a long time. I just haven't, haven't gotten to it yet. 
Oh, okay. I have to wait until I have, you know, not just the time, but the the uh, ability. Because, like, if it's, like, 2 in the morning, it's like, oh, I finally have the time to watch this. Oh, but I'm, like, super tired and can't read. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, I started it. I watched probably the first half hour only because of time constraints. It's good. It. Um, I'm willing to see if it – there's a point in the movie that uh, – in, in Train to Busan that I'm wondering if they're going to address in this prequel. So um, I don't want to say any more about it except that – I didn't care too much for the characters, and I'm I'm hoping that as it picks up, they'll make you like the characters more in this. Um, but then he also directed uh, Peninsula, which is the sequel to Train to Busan, which also I haven't seen yet either. So same. Then uh, Sang Ho Yen also wrote. Uh, he wrote the movie along with Ju Suk Park, and the only other thing that this guy Ju Suk Park has written was um, a movie called. Huayi, a monster boy from 2013. It kind of looks interesting. He also directed that too. Um, diving into our cast here, we've got Gong Yu as Siak Wu, the uh, fund manager that you mentioned, whose his wife left him because he was selfish. Um, apparently, he plays uh, the salesman on a few episodes of Squid Game, which I have not seen. Mm. And I you, haven't you yet watched it, right? Pat? Oh, I thought you guys did. Okay. No, I, haven't no, had I, I haven't seen it either. Okay. Um, he's a bit of a selfish dick here, but not quite as douchey as uh, the other guy. Uh, but by the time he learns his lesson, of course, it's too fucking late for him. <laughs> then we've got Sue Ann Nivens, of course, played by Betty White. You know, she's the foil to Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, wait. No, that's the wrong Sue Ann. Uh, Sue Ann Kim uh, plays Sue Ann Seo, the daughter of Siok Wu who wants to see her mom in Busan for her birthday. She's been in 15 things so far, and even including this year. And she, I thought she was really good here. I totally believed her character. Um, then moving on, we've got Ma Dong Siok, also known as Don Lee. That's his Anglicanized name. He, of course, is Yoon Sang-hwa, the husband of pregnant Seong Kyung. This guy was awesome. He's a mixed. He was once a mixed martial artist trainer, and you can kind of see that in this film. And he's going to play Gilgamesh in the upcoming Marvel film Eternals. So, ooh, that's going to be cool. The Epic of Gilgamesh has its own flood myth. I know. I know. So yeah, uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh is one of the oldest stories known to man. <laughs> that's right. That we have, yeah. And nobody knows um, who it is. Like, isn't he the bad guy from the Smurfs? <laughs> That's Gargamel. I mean, Gargamel. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he was awesome here, though. I mean, you know, it was funny because he kept calling Siok Wu asshole and jerk throughout. Um, then finally, to- at the end, he calls him buddy right before he sacrifices his life. But that whole scene where he's holding the zombies off because he knows he's been bitten and he's going to turn. And then he fucking does turn and he's still holding them off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh I think he still had the last vestiges of humanity uh in his head, but I would have sacrificed, you know, y'all suck like way way before then. Right. <laughs> um let's see. We can go through the rest of the cast here, but then pretty much in stuff that we we've never really seen. The only one I did want to mention was as you said Yan Suck was played by Kim We Sung. He's the sort of the business ex- executive. I think he's the SOO of the train company that runs the train. I saw him recently in as King Ijo 
in the movie Rampant, which we're covering here on 13 Days. It's a it's a zombie film that takes place back in Korea in the 1600s. So if you haven't seen Ooh, it, I like that. Really, that sounds good. Yeah, I can get you a copy if you can't find it on uh, on a thing because it's really good. This guy is such a fucking douche. He's he's willing to let everybody else be killed or even kill them himself in order to save his hide. And one of the things about this movie is that he is portraying here a truly despicable human being that is probably even worse than the zombies. Um, you know, the well, zombies are no probably about it. The zombies are just doing what they do, like swarming like right. piranha. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the scary part is the fact that he almost succeeds you know, it it's it's as least at least as shocking as watching the zombies attack because of the way he's just tossing people to the zombies so that he can save his own ass. Yeah, especially at the point where he, you know, uh, you know, cowardly claims that um, oh, the our main characters are infected and we can't trust them, except for the fact that the infection seems to take hold nearly instantaneously and they've been standing there for a solid twenty seconds. Um, Besides that logical flaw, they get sent to the vestibule and, uh, you know, then the, the old woman there kind of sees the problem here and lets the zombies in. And that's when you're hoping that Yun Suk has been killed. You know, he got what he deserved and he survives that. <laughs> you can only imagine how many people he had to push, push into the zombies to survive that. Right. And it was it's just so frustrating because you're like, oh, all right, you know what? They got what they deserved. You know, they were on the wrong side of history. <laughs> and then he survives. You're like, oh, oh, no. Bastard. <laughs> so that was wild. I had a question for you guys here. Since we did the video game episode, did you guys mention or talk about or have heard of a movie called Seven Days? I'm sorry, a game called Seven Days to Die? I've heard of it. I've never played it. I am unfamiliar okay. completely. Okay, it must be an Asian uh, game, a video game, but it's a zombie game. And I guess when they made this movie, the film team tried to reference the movements of the zombies in that game, as well as uh, movements of the dolls from Ghost in the Shell and um, the nurses from Silent Hill. <laughs> I definitely saw that. I could yeah. absolutely see that inspiration. That's that's awesome. I loved the zombies movement in this whole movie. Oh, Yeah. There was, a, there was one scene where there was a soldier, and the guy, the actor, must have been able to do it, but his arm was, like, up around the back of his head. <laughs> yeah. Tangled-up marionette-type movements. Yeah. It, it was very unnatural, so it gave that vibe of, like, you know, they're definitely not human anymore, uh, which, you know, is, is kind of important for especially the audience because that first girl who gets on the train has very, very... Uh, intricate movements when she kind of gets up and presents herself as, you know, the, the patient zero for the train. And it's a very, very disgusting thing in the best way possible. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to mention her. I'm glad you brought her up because when she, just before she fully transforms, she's saying something like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I wanted to know what she was sorry for. And I'm hoping that that prequel animated movie will, will answer that question. Maybe she was apologizing for being a zombie and what was about to happen because she couldn't face turning into a zombie on her own. And she knew she was going to just fuck everything up. Oh, and bringing the infection on board the train. That makes sense. Yeah. That was what I inferred from that moment. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Did you guys watch any of the making of videos on this? There's a bunch on YouTube. No, no. I, I was watching it. It's really fascinating. You'd think it was all done on a train. 
um, they had a set, and it was like one train car, maybe a couple of them. And most of it was shot with green screen, you know, done as a rear screen projection. And there's even one shot, like, where, um, uh, where, uh, of course, I've forgotten the character's name now, the, the awesome guy. Oh, uh, Sang-Hua. Oh, okay. Young Sang-Hua, yeah. He's, where he's running, and he's got the, sh- the policeman's shield and, and baton in his hand, and he's running to catch up the train. And he's on a green screen treadmill. Not moving, but they're moving the panel of the tr- side of the train past him. <laughs> That's pretty rad. Yeah, so they did a lot of really uh, innovative stuff here to make it look like they were. I, I really believe that they were just on, like, I remember thinking at one point, wow, I wonder if they had to, like, rent this train for a month or something. <laughs> well, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of, like, different tricks and things that you can use, like, that I've found from working on you know, just the, the film that I've been working on. And if you do it right and you have a good crew, like nobody knows that, you know, it's not like the thing that you're, you're trying to like with this, like, you know, nobody, nobody will know unless they see like a making of video, like you don't know that it's not an actual train or it's not, you know, this specific location or setting, like it's pretty amazing what people can do. And it's something I, I really loved throughout the movie was that even though it was a train with seats on either side, so it was almost as cr- like it should be almost as cramped as a plane, but the movie does not have that claustrophobia going on about it. Very much has like this detail of, you know, we need to be here, they need to be there. And it almost you you forget the seats are there and blocking the character's path because A, they're moving through it normally. And B, it never it never becomes a big deal until there is a level of stealth that they have to hide from the zombies with. So I thought that was really, really well done in the spatial um, camera work. Yeah, I mean, Pat, what do you think about that? Because I, I felt like there was a claustrophobic um, feeling from it, I, especially since I found out that, well, not because I found out, but I did find out that instead of... Um, Doing the normal widescreen 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio, the director used 1.85 to 1 to, to sort of give it a bit more of a claustrophobic feel. Did you feel that at all from the film? I definitely got the claustrophobic feel, but this also um, made it seem like um, like this was uh, not an actual train, you know, like not a, not a typical train. Like this was something specifically built for the film because uh, you need to have... Uh, enough room for the camera for the dolly like when you know you're 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 doing like these different tracking shots and you're doing the different steady cam shots like you have to have enough room for the crew to operate and like you need to have enough room for the actors to do their specific motion so i think they made it you know uh, a little bit wider than the standard train would be but still had it shot in such a way that uh, especially with the aspect ratio that still gave that sense of, of, you know, cramped, claustrophobic, uh, nowhere to escape, you know, uh, uh, tension. I I got that claustrophobia slightly when there was a big horde of zombies running over each other, like, like water, uh, you know, like a massive just wave. That's when I definitely felt a lot of the claustrophobia of of people trying to run over each other. That was brutal. But when it was only a few characters just trying to like, you know, push past the zombies and, you know, take a couple out, which I'm reasonably certain it was only, um, uh, once again, I can't remember his name, the, the, the gentleman we keep raving about, 
Uh, I think he's the only one who has any confirmed kills of zombies in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, Sanghua Yoon or Yoon Sanghua. <laughs> yeah, he's, I believe, the only one who has any confirmed kills, which, you know, they don't really establish a lot of the science or the lore behind the zombies, which is perfectly fine. That's not what this is for. Right. We can, we can also just call him Don Lee, but I see what you're getting at. You know, I did want to bring that up, though. We got the... the, the um, since, you know, this whole series, we're talking about the zombie films in relation to uh, the grandfather, uh, Night of the Living Dead, and what sort of what George Romero put out there. Now, these zombies, I, I made a list here. Um, I don't think they're dead. They're not undead creatures, I should say. Um, and you guys, once I read through this list, you know, tell me if, if I'm wrong on any of these points. Um, obviously, they're fast turning. They're fast running. Uh, the bite is what transfers the infection. They can't. They can't learn. They can't open doors. Uh, they're not evolving as zombies. Although the, the outbreak seems like it just started at this point, um, it doesn't seem like headshots are necessary. Although we do see the soldiers at the end targeting the woman's head, um, but we do find that neck breaking uh, hits with bats and even punches seem to take them down. Uh, they can't see in the dark. It confuses them. And they also have sort of this collective hive mind, as, as uh, particularly evidenced towards the end of the movie when they're all piling on to that one train car that's finally trying to, trying to escape, and they're just, like, they're all, they all seem to move in unison throughout the film. I mean, do you guys disagree with any of these points? No, I think the, uh, the, the hive mind thing is definitely interesting and definitely feels like, um, definitely feels like it's not a typical zombie outbreak almost like it's a, a parasitic thing yeah they said they kind of based it on or not that they based it on but it kind they kind of follow the rules of the 28 days later zombies i, I definitely yeah. saw a lot of that i well i haven't seen 28 days later it was uh, a big moment for me at, when the first zombies are attacking people and it's a a quick transformation from person to zombie and b they would you know a zombie would bite someone and then after they've done that turn and then bite another person instead of just like they weren't necessarily eating people they were infecting people intentionally and i i noticed that instantly i'm like oh okay so this is some sort of disease that wants to you know take over more bodies that's why right. I, I i was thinking like the parasite thing because that just seems like what a parasite would do mm. yeah, yeah yeah that's true and it was it was interesting though because at first when I first saw it you know when back when it first came out or whatever I was like how is he able to just punch them and and they're you know they're down they go down but I guess that's part of the rules of these zombies is that you know he like what's his name uh, Don Lee grabs one and just breaks its neck and then keeps going <laughs> yeah mm, I I definitely think when it comes to headshots there's a level of uh, similarity to how if you hit a normal person with head trauma like. Maybe, okay, they don't feel pain if their arm is broken, they'll continue running. But if you stun them in the head, they may stay down like a real person for more time than just two seconds of being pushed. Right, right. That's true. And you mentioned that the, the way the zombies, when they get together, they flow like water. That, that's, Spence, you and I talked about World War Z, and that's very reminiscent of that. I love that in zombie films. It's not something we see very often is when they're running and they're running over each other like ants building a bridge. It's, it, it, to me, is, an, is incredible. And it's one of the greatest effects you can have because it's 
in my opinion, so much more intimidating than seeing one zombie and knowing you can close the door versus seeing a million of them all at once. And yeah. you can only run in any sense of, you know, stopping is going to just result in that. You can't, there's, there's no front zombie where if you can, if you can push him, the entire horde stops for a second. It's, it's not that it, it's going to get you no matter what it becomes more like a force of nature. And I think that's super intimidating versus what we've seen prior in normal zombie, you know, not normal, but previously zombie films, we've seen, you know, one-on-one -on -one is a threat versus in this it's, it's a threat, but it's not the threat. Yeah, that's so true. Pat, what's your thoughts on the, the, the water flowing zombies? I mean, I like that. Uh, it definitely gave me some World War Z uh, type uh, vibes. Um, and again, it's it leads me to these are parasitic creatures or, you know, similar to how uh, an actual virus uh, will attack healthy cells. It's just nothing, nothing will stop them. Like they're just all going forward. And if like one of them gets crushed or killed, like it doesn't matter, you know, because invariably when you have like these swarms of zombies, like there are obstacles on the ground or like people or, you know, whatever, some sort of impediment, like some of them are going to fall, you know, and then that'll, you know, cascade a bunch of them. But because there's so many of them just coming, like they'll crush the ones that are underneath of them, but it doesn't matter. Like as long yeah. as it's almost like, uh, when we talk about the thing, as long as there's one healthy cell, like it's still going to keep going. You know what I mean? Like right. it's weird. Right. Exactly. Hi, this is Rigor, host of Then Is Now podcast and The East Meets the West. I just wanted to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support as we grow the audience for our shows. You could find our links to our Patreon page as well as our T Public page at havenpodcasts.com. With Patreon, you'll get a lot of exclusive stuff, including our monthly pop culture newsletter, cool gifts, discounts for Tee Public, and our special exclusive show, Then Is Now Filmmakers Series, in which we interview directors, producers, writers, composers, special effects guys, basically anybody who works behind the scenes in film and television and get their insights into the process of creating films and TV shows. Also at our Tee Public page, you'll find cool merch that you can get or even give to others as gifts. You can find those links at our website, or you can go directly to tpublic.com slash stores slash Haven Podcasts and patreon.com slash then is now podcast. Enjoy. Hello, this is Rod Barnett. I'm the host of The Bloody Pit, the podcast that examines films from across the decades. On The Bloody Pit... We have several ongoing series of shows within the show focused on specific things in genre cinema that I and my co-hosts find fascinating. There's a long-running series focused on Italian maestro Antonio Margheriti's films from the 1960s all the way up through 1990. There's an on-again, off-again series focused on 1970s science fiction films. There's an in-depth look at the Western movies that William Castle made before he struck out on his own and became the horror auteur that we know and love. A look at the classic Coffin Joe films from Brazil. 
and our long-term project to look at every universal horror film made in the 1940s. That's a long project, people. It's going to take us a long time. Sprinkled in amongst those are various other episodes focused on other stranger areas of cinema, like uh, Lucio Fulci, Dario Argento, and even some obscure British crime films from time to time. So join me and my rotating crew of co-hosts as we examine the stranger side of cinema through an exploitation lens. Except when we don't? Yeah, you never really know exactly what to expect on The Bloody Pit. So join me for The Bloody Pit. Shark Bites, Shark Bites Podcast, it's the greatest show in history. From the Dorkening Network, hosted by a nerd who's named Patsy. From movie reviews to tips on surviving the coronavirus, Shark Bites has it all. Follow us on Facebook and suggest topics at sharkbitespod at gmail.com. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. So moving on now, Spence. I know you have um, you have to leave soon. Yes. Uh, I wanted to bring up the um, the social messages that are in this film, which is cool because the, it's very similar to how Romero did his zombie films. He always had some kind of a, a social angle. He was sort of slipping in as a subtext. Um, the most obvious one, of course, is that you know the, in the contemporary world, ambition's the most uh, crucial ability in order for someone to ascend the ladder of the socioeconomic environment and. So the zombie infestation kind of serves as an allegory of that, where it's basically dog-eat-dog, and that's the the rule of law. Um, You know, you've got the separation of the passengers, which sort of is an allegory between the gap of the rich and the poor, where you've got, you know, uh, the rich people will do anything to protect their safe environment or literally save their own asses without giving a shit at all for the have-nots. You know, the protagonists... The, the good guys who are sort of the have represent the quote-unquote have-nots, they have to give every inch of their power and self-sacrifice in order to survive. And this sort of represents class rebellion as the only way for them to achieve equality with the, the higher class. Um, and also, like, one... The big things I noticed about this movie, especially this go-around, is selfishness and self-preservation. You know, um, when Siok Wu closes the door on, on Don Lee... Um, and Don Lee is pissed off about that. It's like, you know, you could imagine, you know, people might have the instinct to protect their loved ones, their family members, but it's far from extending that to their neighbors or other people. And I think, you know, in my opinion, Siak Wu, he learned more than just how to, you know, appreciate his daughter, but also like the selflessness of some of the other characters, you know, and how to how to be selfless himself. I mean, Spence, what do you think about that? I yeah, I, I fully see it. There's multiple times where the zombies feel like they're about to get one of the important characters, and it actually is a, a um, a Don, Don Lee ends up saving them. There's a big moment where a zombie's running towards uh, the daughter, uh, Suan, and at the very last second gets body checked by this massive dude 
And, and that's one of those moments where you're like, okay, we definitely like this guy. We need to keep him around. So I can absolutely see that, especially with them climbing the train. I mean, he's he, his his idea of fighting is putting on arm braces and that's it and going toe to toe, fisticuffs. Where even um the baseball player and uh, our hedge fund manager did have some level of weapons to fight with. Oh yeah, was, he was just ready. He was ready to go for it, and I I really appreciated that. In when it comes to the social aspects, there was also a quick moment at the beginning when the the train is playing the news and uh, the two old ladies, uh, one of them says, oh, people will riot over anything these days. In my day, they'd be re-educated. And uh, I actually learned a little bit of, apparently that line has a lot of meaning for a South Korean audience, way more than it would to an American audience because like a re-education camp was apparently a real problem way back in the in the um you know in the middle of the 20th century that was much more of a prevalent idea and and how things went and keeping the status quo going uh so i don't know all the implications but i know that that line has a lot more to it than just a throwaway or meant to be uh any level of comic relief wow wow that's interesting i, I wondered about that you know also too when the sister sees her other sister sacrifice herself at the end she gets a little pissed off, and she's she's basically under her breath, even though she's not really talking to anyone. She kind of not really curses her out, but she's, you know, oh, you're always, you know, uh, doing things for other people and putting p other people ahead of your own your own self, you know. And I've got the impression, watching it this time, that that's a huge problem in South Korea, that people can't generally do that. Yeah, a lot of the characters definitely were not, interested in helping other people i mean even our own <clears throat> hedge fund manager he closes the door on the, this family the, you know the the husband and wife who have a good amount of space between them and the zombies there's no there's no moment where it's like come on let's go and closes the door just in time he was ready to sacrifice them and call it a day which was which in my opinion was a very much a telltale games moment i was fully expecting that to come back to haunt him and what I mean by that is Telltale Games is a game studio that made uh, a version of The Walking Dead, but it wasn't necessarily a zombie game. It was more about, you know, the moral choices of do you save this person? Do you save that person? You know, do you do you go for this this resource or that resource? And like your your choices will affect the story and some people die and some people live and some people like you and that kind of deal. So I was fully expecting that to have implications of when he needs to run to the door and our big guy has the door, he was going to close it on him. But then when he doesn't, that's a big moment of, it doesn't matter that you wronged me before you still need to survive this onslaught with me. Right. Right. Exactly. And one of the points, Spence, and then we'll let you get out of here. Um, the, the father there, Sung Woo, doesn't ever say to the, say, I love you to the daughter at all. In fact, the, the Don Lee and his wife don't say that to each other as well. It's like, I wonder if that's not as common in South Korea as it is here. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like that's a um, a cultural and a language thing. Um, I, I definitely think so, because there's, you know, there's very much this like um, clear intimacy and caring about each other when it comes to the individual families that are going on. I mean, there's the two sisters, the husband and wife, the father and daughter, the the boyfriend, girlfriend, there's all this, all the, all different kinds of relationships that are trying to be established and surviving this thing and yeah i think it was a big thing noticing for me also of they don't say i love you but 
it's really becomes a more about actions and caring about your own family and stuff like that. Um, so I wonder if that's just a, um, a language thing. I don't know anything about the, the language of Korean, but it might just be one of those expressions where they said it in their own way. And we as English speakers can't comprehend that. Right, that's what I right. interpret. Well, Spence, thanks for joining us. I know you got to run now. You got a train to catch. No pun intended. You really do. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for having me. Awesome. Take care, awesome. man. Adios. All right. See ya. So, Pat, uh, your thoughts on the social messages in this movie? I mean, coming from, you know, I, I, I don't have a South Korean perspective, so it's a little bit more difficult for me because I'm looking at it through the lens of, you know, what I'm used to as, you know, uh, an American. So what I'm seeing, you know, like, you know, what we were just talking about, like the whole, like, oh, he never says I love you to your daughter. Whereas like in every single movie that's made here or made specifically for American audiences, you know, there's always like right before they say, like, I love you, uh, you know, like <laughs> yeah. uh, think about uh, a quiet place. You know, when John Krasinski sacrifices himself, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> you know, that's the last thing he did, you know, because the whole time the daughter was like, oh, he doesn't even like me, Ooh. you know, just because right. I got my brother killed because I'm an idiot. But like that whole thing is, you know, something that we are used to and what we expect. But having never even set foot in South Korea, let alone lived there long enough to observe customs and traditions and, you know, really be you know, deeply involved in uh, either of those things. Like, I don't know, you know, like we expect certain things, you know, it's almost like cut and paste it for American audiences, but right. You're coming right. And a completely different perspective. Well, I found this on a website called Filmosophy and I thought it was interesting. I just wanted to read it because it's sort of, I, I have the same issue. You know, we don't really know a lot about South Korea. So I thought this was kind of informative here. It says, social hierarchy in South Korea is particularly complex and ruthless. Conformity and social expectations, place of birth, job, place of residence, accent, and clothing all factor into the endless judgment of status in the country, which rises from a complex web of history and development that has culminated in an autocratic work-driven society that pays the majority of its workforce with large numbers of migrant laborers that are distinguished from expats in another example of hierarchy, a severely low wage. They're paid a severely low wage. In such a consumerist society, social mobility becomes primary motivation. And in South Korea, according to Seoul-based economics professor Ju Bing Shi, the best way to get rich currently is to be born that way. Inequality of opportunity will make it increasingly difficult for poor children to move up, which is expected to lead, more con to, lead to more conflict between the different social classes. So, there's yeah, there's a lot. They're a lot different than we are <laughs> yeah um you know although you know the the only way to get rich is to be born that way yeah that's not entirely out of the realm of possibility you know not entirely that dissimilar from from uh america yeah i suppose i mean yeah you can, you can work at it you know here you, at least here you have the opportunity to maybe if you have a business concept an idea you know you can you can uh, make it happen. I mean, that, that's, of course, the American dream. So um, the one other thing, too, about that is that the zombies sort of 
the horde represents the fact of these people who are simply drones in the horde and there are working class the, the working class that are ignored you know so i i just thought that was cool it was it was subtle enough i didn't feel like the messages that the director was trying to bring to us was hitting us over the head uh you know they i really felt like they 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 were there if you looked for them but if you weren't looking for them you still enjoyed a great story you know yeah absolutely so i just got a few more notes here on the film here too i thought the opening the way it began was it reminded me of Shaun of the Dead, where, you know, it starts off with the guy hits the deer, and the deer, of course, dies, but then he doesn't see it come back to life. But he ends up at a quarantine zone, and they're they're poo-pooing it, saying, oh, don't worry, it's just a minor leak, you know. And then uh, Siok Wu sees a news story about mysterious fish deaths on his computer. Um, him and the daughter go into the train station. A bunch of fire engines and police cars rush by, and... There's a building that's on fire, and it just reminded me of the beginning of Shaun of the Dead, where there were a lot of little things going on in the background, you know, sort of building up this whole thing. Yeah, it's uh, kind of giving you, like, the subtle hints without beating you over the head. Like, it's like, oh, here's some weird things that are happening around here. But, like... Right. Yeah. No, I get you. Like, it it definitely... um, Like, there are a few movies that can do stuff like that, where, like... uh, It'll give you some subtle hints as opposed to either beating you over the head or just like, oh, we don't know what happened. Like, it's just, oh, magic. (laughs) Anytime you see something like that, a wizard did it. Right. (laughs) Like, just such random stuff. But no, I think it's it's definitely a a parallel there. You know, and where Shaun of the Dead is an homage, as we talked about, to so many other uh, zombie films. Not even an homage, more like a love letter. Um, Right it's not surprising that, you know, maybe train to Busan saw that and was like, Ooh, like we could do that with our film, not train to Busan. Uh, Yan Sang, Sang Ho, you know, writing and directing it. You know, Cause train to Busan is not the writer or director. Right. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry. I was at a rap party till late last night <laughs> oh, and man. somebody bought $400 tequila. Oh my God. I now know what $400 tequila tastes like. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Just, and I'm not a tequila guy. Uh-huh. Like, well, I bet it's you it was not good. like, you know, like, oh, I'm so used to tequila. It's like this, uh, you know, clear stuff that you get, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it's a $60 bottle. Oh, this was like golden and tasted amazing. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love all that stuff. I mean, I, I'm not a huge tequila person myself, but I will enjoy a good one. And I, that sounds like it would be most enjoyable. <laughs> yeah. It didn't suck. <laughs> oh, man. So I wanted to know, Pat, what your thoughts were about how this whole outbreak is connected to Siok Wu's business as a fund manager. I know at the beginning, another one of the subtle things was he was telling one of his lackeys to sell something you know i guess i assume stocks um but do you have a a better insight as to what was going on there what the connection was my guess it was you know um some company that they were representing that or you know some company that's like oh we're illegally dumping stuff but like they're tying it up in the courts so that like they can continue dumping stuff to keep uh, their stock price is high and keep making profits. And, you know, it's like a, a, a small environmental thing. Like, 
that's the only thing I can think of. You know, like maybe his company was like, you know, doing something like they represented him somehow. Like it wasn't specifically his company that was literally doing it, but it was someone that they that they represented or like was a, a partner of theirs. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So I couldn't figure it out. And usually a lot of the business stuff just goes over my head. But and it's funny, speaking of that, you made me think of um there's the one scene where they're in the in the uh the bathroom trying to figure out like trying to calculate out how many uh, more tunnels there are so they can go through the you know the zombie infested uh, carts or what do you call them train cars with uh during the while they're in the tunnel and because Siak Wu is a fund manager and he deals in math, you could see him kind of thinking and the gears turning in his head. And he's like, well, well, if we're going 165 miles an hour and blah, 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 uh, there should be three more in the next two miles, you know? <laughs> yes. Which is great because I can't do that. I, I do words. I don't do numbers. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the math thing, like, obviously, like, you know, he's, you know, that's his bread and butter, so to speak. But I think... Uh, I think that it, the whole thing was specifically tailored for his character. It's like, okay, you know, we're going to have somebody that, you know, is allowed to do this. You know, it's not like he's an action star. Like, right. you know I mean? like they're, they're, you know, whenever you have a film, you have like this ensemble cast, you have all these different people with a lot of different skill sets and you have like the one guy, it's like, oh, well, this guy's good at computers. This guy's good at math. And, you know, like uh, Spency was talking about, like the, the big, huge guy that was just like punching his way through the horde, like, these people all have their own specific skill set and like they have to be there in order for the story to play out the way it plays out. So I kind of like that. It's like, he's kind of a jerk, but like the stuff that he's been doing for his entire life is what really assisted them and helped them get to the next point in the film. Yeah. Yeah. I did too. I thought that was really good. You know, there's one funny moment where there's a government guy on the TV and he says, to the best of our knowledge, your safety is not in jeopardy. Meanwhile, they're showing a picture of the city practically on fire. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, no, everything's fine. Nothing to see here. Move along. Yeah. <laughs> now, speaking of, we were just talking about Siak Wu and, you know, his kind of his character. He finds out over the phone from a buddy of his that the stop that the train's making, if they were to go out to the main square, they'd end up in quarantine. So the buddy tells him to go to the east square. So him and the daughter are kind of, tr as the people are disembarking the train, heading for the main square, they kind of try to slip out the side, even though the daughter's like, well, we need to tell the others. And he's like, no, we're not telling anyone. And the homeless guy, who, by the way, turns out to be an awesome character, even though he hasn't bathed probably in six or eight months. Um, but I thought that was an interesting conundrum because if it were me, I would have at least told, like, you know, the pregnant couple and the two old ladies and, you know, basically the main characters that they've been introducing us to. I would have at least whispered it to them. You know, yeah. don't go there, especially the old ladies. Yeah, like be nice to the well, you know, the old ladies. See, if I'm in a survival situation such as such as this, that's true. <laughs> and there's, you know, I look at everybody. It's like, okay, you're really old, and even if we were to try and help you get to safety, you're still gonna slow us down, and you're going to be a detriment. Like if somebody was like, you know, they had a broken ankle and they couldn't run. Right. It's like. Sorry, Jerry, but yeah. <laughs> you're the sacrifice because, you know, he's like, yeah, I get it. Like, you know, because even, you know, if you're, I don't know if you've seen uh, Black Summer. 
which if you haven't, it's one of the best zombie things I have ever seen. Oh, really? Yeah. It's kind of like the Game of Thrones of zombie stuff where, you know, Walking Dead, it's like, oh, no, Rick's surrounded by zombies. Oh, I wonder if he's going to get killed. It's like, nope, he's going to be in the next seven seasons. Uh, (laughs) With this, anybody could go at any time and for any reason. You know, there's a, a part where, you know, there's somebody running and it's like, all right, you're kind of slowing me down. Bam, shot in the face. Like, it's like, whoa, that was a main character. Oh, my God. Like, this was a guy that we've been following for, like, a while. And all of a sudden, like, just done. Like, it's so crazy, like, how this stuff happens. But it's like, everybody's in survival mode. It's like, okay, there's a ton of zombies chasing us. This person has, you know, a a, a cast on their leg or, you know, they're, you know, they've, suffered a gunshot and like they're you know they're struggling to keep up it's like okay well you're gonna die so that i can live yeah yeah that's crazy black summer is that like on netflix or something yes there's two seasons on netflix and when i found the first one i just blew through the whole thing like i was like this is amazing i'll have to definitely check that out that just reminds me of that old joke you know the two christians are tossed into the Coliseum and the lions coming towards them, and one Christian leans down and starts putting sneakers on. The other one, yep. the other one goes, "Oh, you, you're gonna, out, you think those are gonna help you outrun the lion?" And he goes, "No, I just have to outrun you." Right. That's the that's the secret. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun your slow friend. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, there's so, so many good things about this movie, and uh, like I said before, we're not going to get into the special effects, but if you guys get a chance to look them up on on youtube they're really amazing you know and it's funny how like in the last quarter i really liked the fact that the good guys you know the first three quarters of the movie is them kind of you know reacting to what's going on but then in the last quarter we've got the main set of good guys who have to rescue their loved ones and get to the final car and i love that they have to think their way through each car you know, they have to figure out ingenious ways of not only bypassing the zombies, but getting to the other side alive. Uh, I really just, I love that about this movie. Yeah, it's, uh, it gives you a different, you know, like, because we've talked about this before. Like, there's so many different takes on the zombie genre and so many different things. It's like, oh, you know, like, this is going to happen or that's going to happen or, you know, like, you can kind of, it's formulaic and you know where it's going, what's going to happen next. With this, throwing the train element, you know, throwing a train or a submarine or a, a, a boat, you know, some sort of, you know, different uh, setting, you know, I think that works really well because it's like when you're on a train, you know, most people have either been on a train like a subway or, or something and you're able to, or at least seen one. So you're familiar with the layout and it's just like the same thing. It's like, yeah, there's chairs, but it's just like over and over and over and over. You just write down the. Right. The line. It's the same thing over and over again. And the thing is, too, one of the things that you keep, you sort of have in the back of your mind in this one is that at some point they're going to run out of cars to run to for safety. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like you don't have like this infinite, you know, like it's like, oh, I'll just move to the next car and the next car. Like how many times have we seen that in movies? You know, Predator 2 it comes immediately to mind. The oh, j- yeah. Like. You know, they're just trying to push people speed. You know, like, there's yeah. so many of these. <laughs> I thought the luggage rack crawl scene was pure genius. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> 
You know, and then they, they, the characters finally get to the last car, and of course, douchebag won't let them in, and he's got all the people convinced that, you know, these, the good guys are infected somehow, and even when they finally get through and Siak Wu jumps him, the way he gets out of being, basically having his the shit kicked out of him, he's, he tells everyone, he's infected, he's infected, and... You know, the thing that I thought was interesting was in this film, the basically all the people in that car start screaming at the good guys to get out. They don't it's irrational. And, you know, we as the audience know it's completely irrational because we've been with these characters. We know they're not infected. But if this was an American movie and I was Siak Wu, I would have been jumping up and down with both hands, giving them the middle finger, going, Fuck you, I'm not infected, we aren't going anywhere, you asshole. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's always uh, an interest, uh, an interesting way of of how the characters should react, and you're like, oh wow, why don't they do this? And it's like, well, I'm sure there's a reason. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I, I mean, it could have been at that point too. They were just so beat down, they were like, whatever, we'll just go to the next car, you know. Yeah, but I'd be like, why, are you guys seriously listening to this asshole? Like, have you not seen what he's been doing the entire time? Right you know he'll do anything to save his own ass, including throw small girls in front of zombies. Right. <laughs> Dick. Such you know, tool. one thing I... Oh, go ahead. What were you going to say? Oh, I said he's such a tool. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I loved was that Siak Wu on his phone, his ex-wife is listed as ex-wife. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... That's very, you know, matter of fact, you know, kind of like the uh, the episode of The Office where they were getting ready for somebody's birthday and Dwight put up the banner that just said, it is your birthday. <laughs> like, black and white, it is your birthday. Like, it wasn't even, it was just like, you know, one long sheet of paper. And it's like, and Jim's like, what are you doing? He's like, but like, this is accurate. Like, it is their birthday. It's like, yeah, but it's like, yeah, you're right, but. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> That's funny. What's his name? The guy that played Dwight was just on an episode of um, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast recently. It was really... Oh, uh, Rain really Wilson. Good. Rain Wilson, yeah. Him and another guy were on there. It was really good. Promoting another show. It's not mine, but it was really good. <laughs> uh, now, we're getting towards the end of the film here, and, of course, uh, Siak Wu uh, says to Yong Suk, when they finally encounter each other on that last train car that's moving on its own, he says, you're infected. Which, he doesn't even... Suk doesn't even realize this, you know? And, and I just love the irony that he was telling everyone that Siak Wu was infected when he wasn't, but now he's really infected and doesn't know it. And Siak Wu has to say, well, dude, you're infected. Yeah, he does suck. Yeah. just He's just the worst. Oh, man. You know, and that was the thing, too, that fucking end fight. I didn't like the fact that, spoiler alert, uh, Suck bites Siak on the hand. And, of course, after he makes sure that the girls are safe, he's got to, you know, sacrifice himself because he doesn't want to turn around and eat them. And I kind of was like the first time I saw it, I was a little pissed. I really wished he had survived. But the other thing too is when he's fighting Suck, the guy's got a necktie on. He could have grabbed it and pulled it tight and used it to hold the guy at bay so he couldn't bite him or anyone else. And that, I mean, I suppose, you know, life or death situation, you may not necessarily think of things like that, but that's the first thing I thought of when I saw the guy. I'm like, you don't want him to bite you. 
grab his tie and pull it tight and keep your hand under his chin, you know? I would grab I would grab the tie and like just keep punching him like one of those like bop it things. <laughs> like a three stooges thing. Yeah, like just you know, just pull the tie and then his face comes out and you punch him, and then his head pops back, and then you pull the tie back and just keep hitting him like that. <laughs> oh man. Now when you first saw this and you saw the girls walking through the tunnel and the soldiers were looking at them. Did you think it was going to end up like Night of the Living Dead? I I was like, I was prepared for it to go either way. Yeah. You know, because like there is that like really like tense moment there where you're like, maybe one of them goes down. You know, it's like, like you, you don't know, but like you think it could be at least one of them, but then everything's okay and everybody's happy. Yeah. And everything's fine. Well, thank God she was singing that Hawaiian song. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, I think it's fun. It, oh, it's definitely good. Did you notice at the very end, too, with the soldiers in the background, they had machines moving those giant container units? Uh, the same kind, they were building a wall, basically, just like in Army of the Dead, which we had talked about in the, the first, uh, second episode. And I, I, as a sidebar, I noticed I was at a bar last night before we went to the movie, and there was a news on the TV, and they were showing this giant machine that had two of those containers, and not side by side. They were actually, you know, the long way, touching each other the long way, and this giant thing holding two of them. So it seemed more efficient. So you could almost conceive that they, if they had enough around, they could quickly build a wall, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it would have been, it would have, you know, kind of, you know, sent the film in a different direction, I think. But I do, uh, I do agree with you. Yeah. And who knows? I don't think they, there was any chance of walling off Busan uh, rather than walling yourself into a safe space, you know? Yeah, like I don't think it's it's gonna happen. But at least they didn't just like you know throw a bunch of storage containers around the city. <laughs> right. So Pat, final thoughts on a train to Busan? Uh, I really like this. Um, I definitely need to check out the uh, the the prequel Peninsula and uh, Soul Station. Yeah, because uh, I like the animation style for Soul Station. Um, I definitely I need to check these out because they look phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, I, I really like this, and I think if you're a fan of the zombie genre and you want to see something unique and interesting and, like, have characters that you can actually get emotionally invested in, like, we kept talking about, you know, what's his name? Y'all suck. Like, <laughs> which is a testament to that actor and that character and the writing because, like, you hate that character so much. Um, we can't stop talking about him. So, like, right. that's, that's an emotional investment. You care about what happens to him like you care about his ultimate fate you want to know is he going to die like how is he going to die and you know so i i think they do a great job of that yeah yeah i agree i friggin love this movie it's fast paced keeps you on edge the characters like you said are wonderful you know and when any one of the good guys gets killed you're genuinely upset as an audience member you're like oh man really oh 
Um, that the acting was great, the directing, the cinematography, the special effects, it was all top-notch, and it was a, just a damn good story. Which, in my mind, this... And I, I don't think I'm the only one that thinks this, but I think this movie managed to revitalize the zombie genre. What this, this came out 2016. The zombie genre seemed like it was starting to fade away, and I think this movie revitalized that. You know, and in tying this into the whole Romero thing, Romero's world of zombies, while these zombies followed the rules of the 28 Days Later zombies, which, of course, came in the wake of Romero's films, uh, the social subtext here makes it more than just a simple horror or action, horror action movie. It's, it's a, there's a lot more to it and a lot of layers to it. And I think it's one of those films that you kind of sort of find things every time you watch it again, you, you see things that you didn't notice before. And, you know, I think that makes for a great movie. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I, uh, I completely agree. And, you know, you know, I don't think we'd be talking about movies that are terrible, but I mean, we, we could, like, oh, yeah, I definitely don't watch this. This is awful. <laughs> yeah, there've been there there will be B movies that we may talk about someday. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't mind. <laughs> okay, folks, thank you once again for joining us today for our special 2021 13 Days of Hallowtober series where we focus on modern zombie films. You can send your feedback to thenisnow42 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Facebook Then Is Now podcast group. And you can follow me on uh, the Throwdown Thursday podcast uh, Facebook group. You can check out throwdownthursdaypodcast.com for you know latest episodes and some fun articles. Uh, and I want you to know that the Then Is Now podcast is a proud member of the Dorkening Podcast Network, so be sure to check out all the other great shows. There's about 743 different shows at thedorkening.com. You can also check out the Dorkening Podcast Network on uh, Facebook. You can also visit our website at havenpodcast.com, where you'll find our sister show, the East, the award-winning East Meets the West, in which we discuss Shaw Brothers films and spaghetti western movies. That's right, that's right. And don't forget, while you're at our website, click on the links for Tee Public and Patreon to get some great swag and exclusive stuff that you can't get anywhere else, including our Filmmakers series of shows. And Then Is Now is also on YouTube, so please visit youtube.com slash user slash UncleDeath1 to get the latest videos as well as other fun videos. Please subscribe to our YouTube page and also share the video versions of our podcast with your friends and get them to subscribe as well. Don't forget, when you subscribe on YouTube, you got to hit that little bell so you get alerts when we have new videos come out. And don't forget to go wherever you download your podcast from and leave us a great review so that more listeners can find us. You can find us on all the podcasting catchers and apps, especially the big three, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Class dismissed. This now podcast is intended for entertainment, educational, and informational purposes only. Sounds, music, and clips played during this podcast are the property of their copyright holders. All original content is copyright Jupiter Media.
For more shows like the one you just heard, check out the Dorkening Podcast Network at thedorkening.com.